0: Hey everyone, this is A Good Football Show, DFS Building Blocks Edition. I'm your host for today, uh, Denny Carter. I'm joined by Kyle Dvorak. I'm subbing for John Daigle. I'm going to do my best, I'm gonna try not to expose everybody to my worst galaxy brain instincts in, in, in building DFS lineups. Uh, maybe maybe Kyle will, will goad me in that direction, but, but we'll see. You know, going into week two, we have a few clear, you know, very potentially high scoring games to target uh, for stacking purposes. Uh, we're gonna talk about those in, in a moment. First, we wanna start with uh, something that, you know, we need to figure out before we can go forward. So, you know, like the basis of how of how we're putting together our week two DFS lineups. We call this decision point. And for this week's decision point, uh, Kyle and I talked a lot about the Chargers Cowboys game. Kyle, tell me about that game. Uh, you know, first of all, why it's appealing, and then and then what how you're approaching it for DFS uh, lineup purposes.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to be the game that I think everyone gravitates towards. It's not awfully surprising. It has the highest game total at 54.5. That went up almost to 55 and a half, 56, I believe. Opening at 52 has now come back down about a point, but it is still clearly the highest total of the week. And the thing is, even though, uh, like, especially Dallas, had a great week last week. It was Thursday night, so it didn't happen on the main slate. They didn't really get priced up. Both CD and Amari are under 7K. Dak Prescott isn't awfully expensive. It just makes it difficult to get away from this game when you can say, you know, any game can fail for a number of reasons, but even if this game falls short of the 55 and a half, 54 and a half, whatever you're looking at total, it can still have everyone pay off because the prices aren't expensive. You know, the, the Dalton Schultzes are cheap. The On the other side, Jared Cook isn't expensive. Cedric Wilson, I believe is 3,100 on DraftKings. There are so many ways to go, and they all seem to have accounted for or under accounted for in price. So I think this is sort of the spot where you – I don't know if you make your stand, but this mm-hmm. is a spot where you have to make decisions first and foremost. Is how do you want to approach the most popular game of the slate, and for good reason. It's not. It's if I say I, I don't think I'm going to play as much as the field will. I'm not comfortable saying that. But as Dago talked about last week, DFS isn't about being comfortable. It's about making plus EV decisions being okay with feeling uncomfortable and knowing that in the course of a 17 week season, or even over the course of a few years, you will be paid off more than you will end up losing money. So I think that's how you have to view this game, you know, through that lens of if I make some weird decisions, which I I think you should be making weird decisions in reference to this game, it might not work this week, but it's a strategy that will pay off over the course of a season, or even if you're playing large tournaments, maybe multiple years, but you just have to be comfortable making the right weird decisions.
0: You almost wish, at least I, I wish going into this slate, week two slate, that, uh, you know, Cowboys and Chargers players had been priced up, had yes, been priced absolutely. up uh, enough, enough to get some roster ship off of them, right? So so, so you can, you know, you can go in on, a, on an expensive, really expensive stack or maybe maybe a, a th- three or four players from that game and then kind of um, uh, get cheap at other spots but you can't, that's not viable because everybody's really affordable. Like you can build like a really good lineup with, with Amari and CD lamb and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. We'll get to him in a minute. Uh, and then the, the quarterbacks, neither of the quarterbacks are, are even remotely outrageously priced. So you, you are going to see, uh, you know, uh, a ton of usage from them this week. Now uh, if you are, if you go in on, say, a Chargers stack and you have Justin Herbert and maybe two of his pass catchers, do you need to get, not weird, but unique elsewhere?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think you can use unique and weird essentially interchangeably <laughs> because the thing we're looking for is that let's say you're playing a, a tournament with even 100,000 people, which I know the the DraftKings of Millie Maker I'm sure, has to have more than 100,000 people in it or something like that. If you play what I assume will be like 10% Justin Herbert, a, a 10% total owner ownership of Herbert down to Allen plus CeeDee Lamb on the other side, that Mm -hmm. roster construction, that simple core of of a one stack plus a one run back is going to be like on 10% of rosters. You've cut the field down a decent amount if it goes absolutely nuts. If that is the exact combination of players you have to have from this game, you cut Mm -hmm. the field down by 90%. But if a Baker Mayfield Jarvis Landry stack goes off, you cut the field down to you and... 50 other people right. in a tournament of 100,000 people. Right. So it's these orders of magnitude of how likely do you think your simple Herbert Allen or even Mike Williams, who I think will be popular too. I think everyone in this game almost is going to be popular. So you don't really cut the field by as much as you maybe should when we know that even if this game you know has a high total, any game is capable of failing. So I'm not saying this is a bad game to target, but you just simply can't do it in the way everyone else is. Because if you do that with a, a Brown stack, for instance, everyone else stacking the Browns is like 12 people in a tournament or whatever, <laughs> whereas this game will be in the many thousands. It will be probably in a hypothetical tournament, a hundred thousand could be in the tens of thousands. It will be, if you just consider stacking this game, not choosing a specific quarterback. So I, I think you have to look at some of like cook, schultz like i would i would actually make a rule that if you are playing Dak prescott or justin herbert you need to have one of cook schultz uh really that's it cook schultz and maybe cedric wilson Uh, he doesn't look like he'll be super popular maybe because you don't actually like the savings are i don't want to say wasted but not as valuable on this slate but even then uh, i think you have to have like a minimum of one of the three I'll call them the weird plays in this game. Uh-huh. I don't know how else, I don't know how else you approach it without just saying me and a, you know, 10,000 of my friend, best closest friends yeah. are going to have this exact same stack.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. As, I, there, Cause you know, there are far more than, than the, the, you know, the high price or higher price stacks uh, with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and then the Dallas receivers, uh, like you mentioned, Jared cook uh, very much involved in that LA offense last week against yeah. Washington Saw a lot of work early. Saw a lot of his targets early in that game, kind of faded out uh, near the end. But ran a, a ton more routes than any other Chargers uh, tight end. And you know, the I want to say the Cowboys are vulnerable to tight ends, but the Cowboys are vulnerable, vulnerable to every position. You know, I mean, you know, any any position could really cash in against them. Um, you know, Cook's usage makes him makes him viable. Do you do you think? Because I I would I would think that Cook will have way way more roster shift than. Uh, than Schultz or, or Jarwin. Is that you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, given what uh, what saw like eight targets, I think last week, something like that, uh, in, in a game that wasn't actually particularly exciting in terms of just the total points put up yeah. on the board. If this game looks more like Cowboys versus Tampa Bay, I mean, he could see north of 10 targets, just given how many times we project these two teams to pass, if it ends up cruising past 54 and a half points or whatever. Okay. So yeah, I, I think that's that's another reason that I say it's even difficult. There's no tertiary piece in this game that I feel confident is going to be a 2% play. Like that's something that would have been great with your Kyler Murray stacks last week is there was probably multiple. There, obviously we saw one of them hit, but regardless of whether Christian Kirk hit or not, or regardless of whether AJ green was uh second among the receivers and targets and routes run, there were non Deandre Hopkins and Rondale Moore pieces that you said, I'm okay playing a, a, a 10% roster, Kyler Murray 15, even, you know, and some, you know, uh, the higher stakes, smaller stuff. I'm okay with that because I can get weird uh, you know i can get leverage on the field by saying oh well if only rondale moore doesn't hit but kyler murray hits i have a very high likelihood of having that christian Kirk two touchdown game obviously it's easy to pick out this example because it literally just happened yeah. <laughs> but this game almost doesn't have that because i do think cook coming off that volume will be popular i don't think it'll be the most popular tight end on the slate so i think uh probably Schultz, maybe Wilson, just because, like I said, I don't think roster construction is going to be as punt heavy at wide receiver as it was last week. Last week was insane for punt receivers and they're all terrible. As it turns out, like it was Marvin Jones, Marvin Jones, like the only one that somehow hit, Uh, you know, all the the younger athletic guys that we were excited for. Not Mm. a single one of them, not a single one even showed up. Uh, I guess Rondo Moore kind of got there towards the end. He picked a few targets, but none of them hit like Marvin Jones. I don't think this late doesn't have that punt and then stud type of a dynamic, So maybe Wilson isn't super popular, but yeah, even then, that's another reason. I struggled to play the stacks in this game. My personal take is I think I'll probably end up being, uh, I'll be less in on both quarterbacks in this game and far more in on Ezekiel Elliott. I think coming off of a a dreadful week one in which he looked as slow and fat as everyone thinks a still super athlete that he is, is, uh, I think he'll be particularly unpopular Tony Pollard got more targets than him, I believe, but he only ran uh, like 13 routes and Zeke ran 44. If I have those numbers correct. So it's the Tony Pollard thing to me is, is such a a small nuisance that I'm really not worried about it. They only gave a, a single running back red zone touch or running back red zone carry. And it went to Zeke Elliott, not much to read in there, but that, falls in line with the fact that he's been the red zone back for all of history, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So I think if Ezekiel goes out and scores three touchdowns, obviously he is a smash at his, it wouldn't matter what price he's going to be. Chris McCaffrey price wouldn't matter. But if he goes out and scores three touchdowns, the odds that his team put up seven, which would be enough, you, you kind of need that four touchdown game from Dak Prescott to really smash the odds that Zeke puts up three and there's still enough production on his offense Dak Prescott was able to put up for seems so minuscule. So I do think Zeke is probably the best leverage play on, maybe not on the slate, but like up there on the slate and at a minimum, the best leverage play in this game.
0: The issue with Zeke and I, and I agree like, like him and Eckler to, to a lesser degree seem like the leverage options, uh, in a game that will be full of, of quarterback and receiver and, and, and then tight ends stacks. But You have uh, Zeke's price is so ridiculously low, especially on DraftKings, you know, that I don't know how much it fell by over the past week, but a considerable margin. And so, you know, I feel it feels like he becomes does he become chalk?
1: I don't think Zeke goes like unpopular, but I do think he stays like sub or around. You know, 10% of rosters playing Ezekiel Elliott simply because I don't think people, I think people are more likely to choose the passing attacks in this game. And on top of that, there are other really good values in his range. Like you've got Najee Harris, then if you want to pay down, you go, like you should probably often in your lineups go down to Kenyon Drake. I think the perceived opportunity cost on going away from a Dak Prescott or a Justin Herbert stack will be higher than the perceived opportunity cost of going from, you know, z- away from Najee to Ezekiel Elliott. So I think. If people are making making choices in this game, they're more likely to break in favor of, of the Dak Prescott stacks, of the Justin Herbert stacks. But I don't think Zeke by any means is just your ticket to say, I'm going to play Zeke and the rest of the chalk on a given slate because he's still going to draw a, a decent amount of popularity. I don't think right. he's a top three, top five, uh, most rostered running back on the slate but I don't think he's like outside of the top 20 or something crazy. Yeah, so right. I, think, yeah, yeah. I think Zeke helps push you away and give you leverage off of the, the Dak and the Herbert, but you still need to make leverage decisions elsewhere in your lineup. For me, this game hopefully is a Zeke game, obviously given the high total, given the role we still assume Zeke has, he, he mostly showed that role only I believe seated uh four carries or something like that. To Tony Pollard in week one it sets up to at least have the potential to be a Zeke game. And that's perfect mm-hmm. when I don't think he's gonna be that popular and he's super cheap. And I think that's the advantage of Zeke is that he fills the same criteria as the rest of the guys in this game. He will just come at a slight discount in terms of popularity. Specifically, he's cheap. He's cheap relative to what I think he should be like. He's cheap in that way that like when, when Ben DiNucci was starting, he was probably this exact same price, even oh, though man. it's obviously so much of a different scenario. Yeah. So there are many ways you can go with this game. I think the, the, to me, the most important is just to stay away from single stacking with one of the popular receivers and running it back with one of the other popular receivers, no matter which side you choose, yeah, because right. you just gain so little advantage over your opponents by doing that.
0: Sure. Uh, something that Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis said a couple of days ago has stuck in my head for 48 hours, and it was, who was this? Ezekiel Elliott, or I'm sorry, Dak Prescott audibled out of uh, a dozen run plays that were supposed to go to Elliot on last Thursday uh, against the Bucks. Have you, have you heard this or read this? I
1: have, I have heard this
0: one. Okay. First of all, what in the world? Secondly, good for you, Dak. And a thirdly, hero, yes. But thirdly, like he was supposed to be very much involved. Like if it was up to the team, to, to the coordinator, he would have he gotten 20-plus carries. Uh, so, you know, it's it's not like they were they had dismissed Ezekiel Elliott as a centerpiece of their offense. Uh, you know, that, that factors into how you play him here. Real quick, on, on the other side of the ball, in the other backfield, we have uh, Austin Eckler, who didn't see a target last yeah. week uh, against Washington. So there was it was the Alonzo morning head shake gif. Uh, for for uh, Eckler drafters uh, in, in season long, who were afraid he wasn't going to get goal line touches, but were sure he was going to see you know uh, t- ten targets a game. It was the opposite. You know he was seeing some goal line work, some uh, work inside the ten, no work in the passing game. Extremely concerning, considering that's how he's uh, you know paid off for fantasy purposes. He did run a route on about half of Justin Herbert's dropbacks though. So he was out there. It's not like they took him off the field and didn't let him run routes. Now, it wasn't his normal route running, I will say. I see him. I see uh, Eckler as a guy who will have very, very low roster ship this week. Am I misreading the situation at all?
1: I think. I think in the same way that Zeke will just via – having some relation to this game like if you tell me my cousin is going he got tickets to this game I'll be like all right let's find him in the DraftKings app let's see if I can play my cousin because like he could a ball could just sail to him as he goes and gets a hot dog and he catches like via proximity Austin Eckler will probably be in that similar range to Ezekiel Elliott where I think like the obvious plays this week uh, are going to be something like Najee Harris Kenyon Drake even maybe Chris Carson gets in that range and then if you're paying up you know McCaffrey Dalvin cook type of stuff. I don't think he reaches that tier, but I think Eckler is probably in the Zeke tier of maybe between five and 12% mm-hmm. roster ship.
0: That makes that, I, I was thinking somewhere around five, you know, and uh, another, another thing I, I've, I've, I've liked to do so far in in tournament uh, lineup building is to not play one of the quarterbacks. And maybe this is too galaxy brained, but to, uh, to correlate like um, cook, you know, uh, J- Jared Cook and Amari Cooper, or both Dallas receivers and Austin Eckler, but but no no Dak or or Herbert in in the quarterback spot. So I so then I could target another potentially high scoring game, uh, and just kind of scrape the kind of scrape the value off of the the the, the Dallas L A game. Um, Cedric Wilson though is someone I really haven't gotten much exposure to. You've mentioned him a, a few times. He had really good usage, didn't he, last week after. Michael Gallup uh, left the game with an injury.
1: Yeah, I think the only concern there would be that Noah Brown was healthy scratched, and I don't think Noah Brown was healthy scratched because they thought they had this gem of Cedric Wilson as their number four. Uh, he had spent a few days on the COVID list before uh, before this game, so maybe they thought he wasn't up to speed. If we see if we see him active. Maybe they split that number three role, but as a a six round pick, I believe uh, Cedric Wilson, he had like Mm -hmm. 1500 yards this final season at Boise state. He's not a nobody. I think he's probably a serviceable number three receiver just because we've seen him coming in in spots uh, throughout the past year or two where he has like splash games. And I think because of that, they should at least feel comfortable giving him the majority of the snaps as the number three receiver. I do think like if no Brown's active, Sure. He maybe takes a few routes away, but Cedric Wilson is a fine number three receiver on an offense that is, it's much more than fine. It's incredible. So I'm not a Cedric Wilson truther in the sense of like, I think he is this <laughs> idyllic prospect. Yeah. I'm a Cedric Wilson. I'm an, I'm an anyone who's a third Cowboys uh, receiver, truth. And yes. that's good enough for Cedric Wilson.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, moving on to another potentially very high scoring game. We have the Cardinals and Vikings. That game has a, a total right now of, and I lost it, and now I found it, 51. That's stayed stable throughout the week. The, the Vikings are in a bad, bad place on defense, uh, missing two starters and a rotational player due to injuries of various kinds uh, about to go up against Kyler Murray and one of the most potent uh, passing attacks in, in the NFL. I know the, the Vikings want Kirk Cousins to be the ultimate game manager. He, they they they're paying him, you know, uh, half the GDP of the United States to uh, to hand the ball off to Dalvin Cook. But he they haven't been in that position for a while, you know. And and they 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 last year they got into a lot of shootouts. Their defense couldn't stop anybody. It forced Cousins to throw a lot. We saw it again last week against Cincinnati. Um, so we have a lot of options here in the, in the Cardinals uh, Vikings game, my preference right now, and maybe I'm, I'm, maybe it's too cute. I don't know. It's, it's to go cousins at least one, probably two of Jefferson and Thielen and then put on some, some Cardinals pass catchers in, into the mix, obviously Hopkins more Christian Kirk. Is that, is that, is that too smart for my own good? Should we, should I just stuff Kyler Murray in there?
1: I think you probably can just stuff Kyler Murray, but the thing is, you're building a different, an entirely different kind of lineup because Kyler Murray on DraftKings, at least, but on all sites, is obviously going to be uh, yeah. more expensive by a significant amount than than Kirk Cousins. He's two thousand more on DraftKings, so you just get access to an entirely different kind of lineup when you play Kirk Cousins. I totally think you can just though play Kyler Murray. I think given how popular it is to pay for basically as many pieces you can in Dallas, Los Angeles. That this game is going to go considerably underlooked because also it doesn't like somehow. If you would have told me two years ago that this game having what you said 50, 51, 51 and a half total, depending on where you look. Uh, it would be like the third or fourth most popular game on an any given DFS slate yeah. three years ago, two years ago. I would have, it would have blown my mind, but just given that scoring was up last year, and I don't think there's any reason to think it's quite going to slow down into this year. We have a ton of high totals. It's not going to be the game of the week, despite having a total that in other years would have qualified it to be the game of the week. And we saw last week, Kyler Murray, if he gets, if he looks as good as he did as a passer last week, and then he adds in, like, the rushing elements. He rushed for a touchdown, by I believe it was only 20 yards. Or if he just tops – he was sitting just below the 300-yard bonus, like, two final drives, and all <laughs> they did was establish it. Because, you know, they're up – do whatever you want if you're up 30 against the Titans or whatever – but there was another level of ceiling. I think he dropped like 34 DraftKings points. And there was another another level of ceiling that involved a long run or 11 more passing yards that he didn't achieve. So I think he ends up uh, like last week was good, but there's another level to it. And because he got priced up and because paying up at quarterback to the extent that he is incredibly expensive isn't going to be super popular, I think this is, uh, this is the... Maybe this is where we can move into the sneaky stacks because I think just alone the Kyler Murray, Hopkins, and one any of them, I don't care even if it's A.J. Green. I you can play A.J. Green. I'm not playing A.J. Green, but it makes sense from the from the fact that they run a ton of three and probably more four receiver sets than most other teams. Yeah. Even Rondale Moore playing 25 snaps is totally totally eligible to have a blow up spot. Obviously, we saw it can with Christian Kirk. I guess you can argue it could happen to AJ Green but just the the double stack of Kyler Murray and and Hopkins and one of the receivers I think will not be it will be fractions and fractions of the popularity of kind of the obvious Herbert, Allen, uh, Mike Williams type of stack. And does it have that much less of a chance of going off? I think it's absurd to think otherwise. And then on top of it, the runbacks are perfect. Like, that's why I think you don't even need to get his galaxy brain. You can just run back one of the the Vikings. I think Justin Jefferson coming off performance where he still saw nine targets, that's a good performance in my book, even if he doesn't convert it to 105 yards and a touchdown. Perfectly fine performance with the volume he saw. He's going to be unpopular, despite us not really having changed our opinion that we left last year with, that he's a dominant potentially number one receiver on his team they should be again losing we saw as they were losing throughout the game last week kirk cousins attempted nearly 50 passes it was one of if not his highest pass attempt of his career i think at least of his vikings career something like that yeah uh if they have the potential to throw 50 times in a game that's beautiful because that is what you need to keep up with kyler murray so i think you can totally go with kirk cousins i don't think you have to though i think kyler is perfectly fine as well i think this game just goes underlooked in general because i think the game we talked about the decision point goes over over uh underlooked uh and overlooked mean the same thing, do they not? How is that possible? Can we we have a we have a, a researcher? I don't think this is the <laughs> thing he would want to research in his free time.
0: Uh, uh, Are underlooked and overlooked the same thing? We need to know. Uh PJ, our researcher. Uh it's a good question, and, and the, the people need to know. Uh I, I, I will say that I'm I'm disgusted that we're we have to talk about AJ Green here. Um, but we do. We do because uh, he was behind only DeAndre Hopkins for the Cardinals last week in targets. He he saw six targets to Hopkins seven. Um, Of course, he got two for 25, which is just like a typical uh, latter day. AJ. As expected. What did you say?
1: As expected. That is exactly the stat line you would tell me. AJ Green would get. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Just like last year, he ran 32 routes. That was second again, only to DeAndre Hopkins, 34. So, you know the cardinals they want him they they for now they want aj green to be a thing and that's all that should matter to us unfortunately so he's going to be out there a lot in a game that could very easily go off and and it, i i would have believed that and i'm sure you would have too even if even if the vikings hadn't uh, dealt with all these defensive injuries but the fact that they are going to be short on on defense and without some key players that that makes it you know even more uh, appealing on both sides of the ball. Uh, there's just no way that Minnesota is going to stop the Cardinals here. My favorite approach to lineup building is uh, is uh, <laughs> uh, getting getting pieces of the Cardinals, Vikings, and the Cowboys, Chargers. Um, j- just as m- as many as you can put them all together, um, and and that that means that you have to embrace the horror of. Of course, uh, AJ Green. Oh, you're on mute. I, I like. like
1: using the, uh, the the secondary stack of Dallas Chargers because it doesn't, like, if you are not playing all of, you know, the, the Herbert double stack with the runback, that doesn't mean that you think the game scores 15 points and it's an eight to seven game or whatever. It just simply means that you can believe that, Other games, that other games score more points that, you know, Arizona somehow puts up 45 and then their opponents, the Vikings keep within range at 31 or whatever that game, even if the Chargers game hits the over, it would still be the Cardinals game that you have to play. And I do think using the running backs who have the potential to soak up a lot of touchdowns without sharing them, they don't have on any given touchdown outside of receiving touchdowns. Any sort of correlation with their own quarterback, with their own receivers. So I like using the one running back, probably not double running back, but one running back and opposing receiver from that game. Any other like uh, games you think might go? Uh, we actually, this is awesome. PJ actually yeah. looks up. Uh, I'm just as the verbs. The difference between overlook and underlook is that overlook is to look down upon from a place that is over above, to look over or view from a higher position to rise above so as to command a view while Underlook is to be suspicious or mistrustful. Um, I would say Overlook actually does sound like a, more of the appropriate way to say that a game will be... If I had to pick one that says people are going to look at a game too much, Overlook sounds like it's a, a good hawk's eye view of a That's game. and Everyone has this view of this Chargers game as the only game you can see when you're 200 feet soaring above, <laughs> above the in, entire week two landscape. Are there any other games? That's I'm so I'm so glad that we actually got to uh, discern this uh, now an English podcast. Now we are just uh, you know an English syntax yes.
0: podcast. We we are we're gonna dissect language on this podcast every week. That's what people tune in for. They don't come here for DFS advice. They want to know the difference between overlook and underlook. PJ, the researcher, uh, delivered there. Thank you, thank you, PJ. Uh, any, any other game here, Kyle, that we want to talk about as far as like an essential game to get exposure to in week two.
1: Yeah, I think as far as the, uh, the essentials go, the bread and butter will end up being uh Tampa Bay versus Atlanta. It doesn't take much to really describe what we like about Tampa Bay. We saw last week, even though they're winning for the majority of that game, it wasn't a blowout by any means over Dallas, but they were winning for a majority of the time of that game. Uh, they still, I believe, passed 50 times. It's just a team that has a pure reverse-establish-it commitment. Whatever establishing it through the airs, which is probably just establishing a high total of points, like you just want to score more points, a concept that few teams seem to grasp, even though it is uh, the year of our Lord 2021. They want to establish the points because they have Tom Brady and maybe the best trio of receivers, like, literally ever. So I don't really—I uh, don't think there's much to really get in the weeds about. They throw the ball a lot. They're very good at throwing the ball— we should be attacking them from DFS lineups. That's about it. Which yeah. ones do you go with? Go with any of them. I mean, Mike Evans got shut down last week. He's a guy who I believe opened his career with what seven straight a thousand yard seasons. I think one sure. of only one or two players to ever do that. Do we really think he's going to go to the wayside because Chris Godwin had one good week? No. Like, do like anyone is viable in this game out of the big three receivers, Gronk, and then on the run backs is why I think this game is interesting. I think after one Truly abysmal showing by the Atlanta Falcons where they only in week one finished 16th, I believe in pass percentage, despite getting absolutely trucked by the Eagles uh, after that one abysmal performance, both on, on play, like on the field play and play calling, people are going to be completely off them. Despite us really like it's week one, we just can't shift our priors that much. We still right. believe that it's a terrible defense and a quarterback in Matt Ryan that regardless of OC, regardless of the talent he's been playing with has every year, been trying his hardest to lead the league in pass attempts and while that doesn't get me the most excited for matt ryan because really spiky efficiency is what we're looking for in our quarterbacks like you know 55 pass attempts does not necessarily mean you score 35 DraftKings points but five touchdowns probably does uh it at least has me excited to play his receivers it, uh, kyle pitts is the most obvious dip buy i've ever seen uh i know yeah. you wanted to talk about this one but I think Brady yeah. is not, like, it's Tom Brady. He's not going to be unpopular. The runbacks are going to be unpopular, despite how obvious they seem. Like, can you just wax poetic on Kyle Pitts? Because to me, this yeah. seems like the it's just the perfect buy-low material.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, on the surface, Kyle Pitts was devastating in in, in week one. Um, you know, he was very cheap. You could put him in any lineup you wanted to in, in week one, and you can do it again in week two. His roster ship numbers are going to be reduced by what at least half of I'm, I'm probably probably by, by two-thirds yes uh, this least. week at, after a disappointing week one the the bucks are this in week one and and last year were were vulnerable to tight ends they gave up a, a one of a top five target share to tight ends uh last season and that's because the targets funneled down into uh two tight ends to the middle of the field I think we're going to see that again. You know, the Falcons are going to pass a ton in this game. There's just no way that they're going to get out of that pass-heavy negative game script. I think Pitts profiles as a really good runback option against a Tampa stack. And the Bucs have, have reached such a, a level offensively. I'm looking at a mega stack, a Bucks mega stack. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, on what that looks like. I, I will say that I'm dying to get Ronald Jones into that mega stack because again, burn people last week for, I mean, for a single uh, game DFS purposes, burn people when he was benched after he fumbled, Bruce Arians then said, Oh, he's starting by the way. That doesn't mean much. I get it. Okay. And the people, <laughs> the people who replied to, to the blurbs about Ronald Jones said, well, that doesn't mean anything. It's true. It's true. But it shows that, you know, he's, he's not, he's not permanently in the doghouse. And this game shapes up uh, it for 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 very very good, you know, rushing game script, uh, especially like a second half kind of blowout situation where where Ronald Jones could, could get a lot of work. Of course, Fournette could too. But my mega stack would be Brady, Jones, uh, Evans, who no one will roster, and and uh, probably probably Antonio Brown. And I'm just trying to avoid Chris Godwin because I think that he will have you know way more roster ship, roster ship against the falcons so i'd have the four the the four person and maybe the bucks defense too even though they're they're expensive throw them in there just a total domination total blitz, blitz uh, bucks blitz and then throw in Kyle Pitts who you know who who would be shocked if Kyle Pitts saw double digit targets this week
1: yeah Kyle Pitts last week i believe saw like a 25% target share and uh air an guard share north of 30% off the top of my head like yeah. uh-huh. sure he didn't go f- like like again we've talked about it w- with other players uh i still think there is somewhat of a disconnect between last week's volume or an entire season's worth of volume and uh what we see from uh, a roster ship percentage simply because people even uh even today maybe less so than 2016 are still doing somewhat box score surfing you play a a super popular Kyle Pitts and he doesn't crush. And you think, uh, well, especially draftings up the price, like, which makes sense. He saw volume and he was popular. That's what makes guys, you know, that's what's going to get a guy to go up in price. But he burns you and then goes up in price. And, uh, you know, the average DFS player is probably very unlikely to go back to that well. Whereas we see the volume and then we see the low popularity given the the increase in price. And we think this is perfect. This is exactly what we want to see. So yeah, I think Pitts makes perfect sense as the runback. My only concern, like I wouldn't play Ronald Jones with my Tom Brady stacks in anything other than small Mm. field, because if you're playing that in the Millie maker, I do believe there's probably at most a neutral correlation, if not maybe a negative correlation between Ronald Jones hitting his 90 some percentile outcome and Tom Brady plus two of his pass catchers doing the same. But I do think in a, a small field where you can afford to have Tom Brady go for, you know, heaven forbid he goes for 32 instead of 39. You can actually afford to have that happen when you only have to beat 800 opponents or whatever it may be so i think in that case especially because they are massive favorites right now i have 12 point favorites against the lowly falcons at home with the highest implied team total of the week not even the main slate of the entire week uh by a point and a half yeah you can totally get a running back who may not really he's not gonna catch any passes they might target him once and you can bet your bottom dollar he ain't catching it so uh, i I think it's perfectly fine to play that in in the smaller fields i do think it cuts off like the 99th percentile which you probably need in the millie maker so i think that's where you find the differences in the ways you're building lineups is looking for that like every spot has to be perfect in the millie maker nearly you really can't afford more than one not uh, not even a, a complete bust you can't afford more than one like sub 20 point play something absurd like that unless it's like the james o'shaughnessy punt of the week or whatever he can get you eight and i guess you're fine there so uh you know any other sneaky stacks i think there's a few that i'll just briefly run through and then we can maybe move to some fades that we have i think just going back to to russell wilson especially versus the titans who will have again just the buy the dip on the run backs titans look terrible in week one i think they were of all teams probably a team that's susceptible to looking terrible one because they're a team that's built sort of like the ravens are in that run first approach and we've seen the ravens when they get on their heels are probably not the best team to be fighting from behind. I would imagine a team that wants to center their attack around Derrick Henry is not a team built to come from behind. Then they just had, I would say largely random events happen. They, they took like five sacks, which sure, like they, they deserve to give up a lot of sacks that game. Their offensive line played terrible, but that is a truly abysmal, like a, a low percentile outcome to give up that many sacks. Julio drones, a very good receiver as of the last time I checked, maybe he's bad now. Maybe he's AJ green dropped a handful of passes. I don't expect Julio to drop that percentage I believe it was like two uh it was two of his passes he dropped I don't expect him to drop two passes every week so I think they were probably a team that is not going to be as good as they were in the past few years it doesn't mean they're terrible so that's sneaky to me any love for I'll call it the this is the real sneaky stack these ones you know, you've heard, you've heard of the players I've been talking about, but have you heard of a man by the name of Baker Mayfield? One of the highest implied team totals. And now sans Odell Beckham is going to be particularly easy to pick apart who you actually want to play. Last week, we saw almost no Rashard Higgins. We saw Anthony Schwartz tie a team high in target Schwartz is questionable by the way so you know if you're like i played Schwartz, even though he was listed as out because you said i should play and play <laughs> <shorts."> uh, <laughs> i'm like well maybe you should have checked that he was listed out Check but the
0: injuries.
1: Yes. S- sans Odo beckham probably a target tree that is more condensed it's more easy to pick up on two of the guys gonna be super cheap but no one's gonna play it despite the this is why i love playing cleveland in these spots when they have a super high team total maybe nick chubb gets tackled at the five and then they throw a touchdown and then they throw another touchdown on the next drive because they should kill the texans still I I think this is a, this is the official, the official, a good football show DFS building blocks, sneaky stack of the week. If I'm allowed to anoint that and then, you know, give your thoughts and we can finally move to some fades.
0: No, that's good. Yeah. The, the Browns are, you know, not the, the ancient uh, run heavy team that we thought they were at the beginning of 2020, you know, at, at this point, they, they can, you know, they can let it rip a little bit in the passing game. My issue is like, And of course, you know, this is part of the, part of the, part of the fun of building lineups. Who's going to get, who's going to score the touchdowns? Like I know there's Jarvis Landry soaking up a bunch of short targets and stuff, but is it Schwartz? It's not Donovan, Donovan, people's Jones, OBJ's out. Do, do you go and Joku who, who was the the primary pass catching tight end last week over Hooper? I, you know, I, I, I'm just, I don't know who to stack with Baker, but, but you're, you're you're probably right. I mean, this is probably a, a massively overlooked opportunity uh, to get a lot of value out of out of Cleveland
1: players. All right, who are the who are the fades? Who are the the bad players who are bad at football and shouldn't make our lineups? Uh, I I I jest at this because like anyone, almost anyone, like as long as you're like taking the field and have like not uh, not an unreasonable uh, you know projection, you're not like. 8200 and the coach just said you're not going to play like if we found out brandon Ayuk was going to do what he did beforehand you probably shouldn't have played him but uh i think given that pricing is in the neighborhood of efficient and uh and how popular players are generally has a a high degree of correlation to how like how well they project to do obviously not how well things end up there are uh, rarely actually bad plays. When I think, and this is something that, you know, Daigle talked about is we'd much rather, uh, you know, teach someone how to fish, uh, teach a fish, how to not be a fish, if anything. (laughs) And uh, instead of just giving them the plays, when I say fades, it does come in the context of, uh, you know, if I am playing, I'll I'll play some, you know, some Dak Prescott and Herbert Stacks, they'll have weird players attached to them. But then I'm not also going to play the popular running backs. I'm, I'm not also going to play everyone's favorite tight end of the week, because at that point, like, not even like you know, you're borderline running into dupe territory at that point. But not even that. If all of your all of your line hits, you're still highly correlated with a thousand lineups in a contest of a hundred thousand people. When you are playing a contest that is so top heavy as most tournaments are, but especially one that would have a hundred thousand, like those always are, just going to be the most top heavy. Uh, you can't just say if everything goes right, I get to one in a thousand shot. If I hit this nine leg parlay, I still am just flipping coins over which punt receiver me versus ten other dudes had in our lineup because we had almost the same lineup. So when I say fades, I mean, given how popular someone is going to be and given what they project for, and maybe the opportunity costs someone who I think it makes sense to find different players in their range, or maybe build rosters entirely different. If you like a player that I say uh, you should be fading, you probably just need to build in a different way than I think I'll be building my lineup. Uh,
0: So, yeah, let's get to the fades. Najee Harris, how are we, how are we handling him? Because hundred percent snap rate in week one, gets the Raiders on a short week coming east. It's gonna be two AM West Coast time when that when that game kicks off in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, he has everything going for him. He's gonna have, you know, be on a ton of rosters. Uh does he have any tournament viability this week for you?
1: I, I, like I said, you know, all these players are viable. It's not that I think Najee Harris is bad. It's not that I think that he doesn't project well because he he should be one of the better values on the slate. Uh, it's simply that I think he will probably be among the two or three most popular running backs on the slate, given how cheap he is relative to the volume he could see. But like, why could the same thing that happened last week not happen this week, where he is set up in a role where he gets, uh, could see a lot of volume and it just doesn't come together. That's the the way that popularity, a, a player's ownership percentage, a player's rostership percentage plays into how I'm going to be building lineups. I don't need to find out like what the optimal rate a player should make it into if I was playing 150 lineups is. I just need to look for spots where someone who is popular can fail. I don't have to predict that they fail. I can predict that they are probably going to be played by more people then I think is reasonable given their projection. I think because Harris plays on a team with a terrible offensive line and a quarterback whose arm is completely dead and a defense that can support that kind of offense somehow because they're a very talented defense, yeah. this could just be a game, I don't know, maybe like we saw last week against a better team that uh, they score 19 points or whatever and still find a way to win. So I think Harris, sure. despite, I believe he led the league in percentage of his quarterbacks, dropbacks that he ran a route on, he yeah. still has a lot of competition for targets. He still has terrible offensive line. The paths for, to failure for someone like Najee Harris, I feel are much more ample than, uh, you know, the path to failure for similar players in his range, despite the fact that he is going to be the most popular running back, probably sub seven K like maybe you could say, you know, a Kamara or a Chubb will be more popular. Maybe, I don't know if that's true, but in know. his Possibly. price range, I think he has just as many paths to failure as similar running backs, but he's not going to be treated as such by tournament players.
0: That's a great. That's a great argument. I, I'm never going to play Najee Harris, no matter what. Now, thank cool, you. Cool,
1: cool, cool,
0: cool. <laughs> that that was the that was your lesson, right? That was your that was your main. You point. got it.
1: No, I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you got it.
0: Yeah. Uh. You know, One. Um. You know. A, a shift off of off of Harris. Uh. On DraftKings, at least, is uh, David Montgomery, who is similarly priced. You know, didn't wasn't horrendous against the Rams last week, and in a, in, a, in really bad. well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since when is Montgomery so damn fast,
1: by the way? What what, what happened there? I mean, uh, he worked, supposedly, he worked with a speed coach in the offseason. I'm sure he's the only one to have done this. I see how he got much faster than the rest of everyone else. You know, because, like, what is, I'm sure Najee I'm, Harris wasn't prepping for anything important this, you know, in, in February, say, I'm sure he had nothing coming up. He was just hanging out. You know, I'm sure. You know, Ezekiel Elliott with his money already, he didn't need to train at all. So Montgomery yeah. being the only running back, the only NFL player to train this offseason was probably helpful.
0: Yeah, that yeah, we have to adjust the ranks, obviously. Uh yeah, I mean, and, and Montgomery is not not going to see a ton of targets because Damian Williams uh I guess has that Tariq Cohen esque role in the Chicago offense. But you know, the the Bears Bengals game, you know, is it you know won't be lopsided, probably. And and that should give Montgomery the opportunity at least to, to see a bunch of uh carries, and he would he would presume presumably get first crack at short yardage and, and, and goal line work. Uh, any other fades here before we go to large field darts, Kyle?
1: Oh, well, I want to throw one back to you and see what you think. Uh, I'm testing this fade out. I, I don't know if I'm making this fade, but I'm testing this fade out. Uh, Kenyon Drake with Sands Josh Jacobs is going to be particularly popular. He's 4900, he'll be popular no matter what his price is across FanDuel and Yahoo. and super draft wherever other weird dirty corners of the website you're playing DFSR. (laughs) uh you know i I assume no place priced him as if john shake was going to play he will be particularly popular but like this seems like a game that i think has like i don't want to like i'm not uh you know i'm not the uh sports gambling tout i'll I'll make some uh player props articles throughout the week because those are beatable the the lines at least for me are not going to be beatable but this totally profiles like a game where Ben Rosberg and Derek Carr play each other. One of these teams has a very good defense and they also want to establish it that just like jams the under that just these teams score just like Pittsburgh did last week. Very few points relative to what you're seeking from a a tournament lineup that like I'd be fine playing one defense in this game and then nothing else because Kenyon Drake, unless he catches a ton of passes or finds the end zone, his team should be trailing if they just happen to, I don't know, maybe target a tight end a lot instead of the running backs say something Strange like that happens. It's very possible that Kenny Drake gets a handful of targets. He puts up 16 points. And 16 points is great for your cash game lineups. But at the end of the day, you will need to amass raw points. It's like the reason you wouldn't put the cheapest $200 player who projects for one reception in the captain spot of your showdown lineups. It's not because that player won't be the best points per dollar play. It's because that gives you diminishing returns when they're so cheap and project for so few literal fantasy points that maybe Kenyon Drake puts up 16 and at his price, that's good for cash games. But there are six running backs that put up 25 plus, and you just have to get a combination of two of them. I think there's an argument to play Drake that way. Uh, I think Drake is a player that it just depends on my lineup. I, I would almost certainly not be playing any Drake in any Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert lineups, because at that point, you're just gaining so little relative value. All of the points you gain are shared by so many other people. But could I play uh, Could I Kenyon Drake in my Kirk Cousins lineups, as you suggested? Yes, you totally can, because you those points are, are probably more valuable in that lineup. What All do you right. think of the Drake fade? I don't think it's a fade on every lineup, which is why it's important. We talk about building lineups that are, are valuable, not just our favorite right. picks of the week. I think it's a fade in any lineups that are, are popular. Cause I think this game just looks ugly. I don't want to play players in games that feature Derek Carr and Ben Roussiford. I just yeah. don't want to do it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean that, that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, if you, if you've gotten a little funky in another part of your lineup, especially in like a, like a foundational way, um, with a quarterback and, a, and, and stacking with pass catchers who might not be like hugely rostered, then I guess Drake would make sense as as just, a um, you know, a, a cheap option to, to plug in there. But, yeah, like you said, there's there's little reason, I think, to to say, oh, you know who's a good play? Uh, Dak Prescott, Kenyon Drake and then the Dallas receivers and um, uh, uh, Keenan Allen, you know, like like that that's a good lineup. I mean, it could score a lot of points, but it's going to be you and a, a monster percentage of the field who's doing the exact same thing, exact same lineup. That's a that's a great way to think of, and that's a great way to think of a, a fade. Let's go on to large field darts, which you know I, I could make this uh, portion of the show go on forever. You know, I, I we I could do six hours on large field darts because that's just how my my brain works with these uh, with this lineup construction. I'll start with one. Uh, who I, I, I don't know if he qualifies as a dart. I, you, you agreed that he did. I hope that the, the listeners also agree. Uh, DJ Chark, who is 5,600 on DraftKings, 6,100 on FanDuel. So I tweeted today, after looking at air yards uh, numbers from week one, I, I, that I was stunned The DJ Chark was third overall in air yards in week one with 199 uh, in, in you know, frantic comeback mode against Houston. Um, that was, the, like I said, third most. He caught, <laughs> this is a, a prototypical DJ Chark line, caught three of 12 targets for 86 yards and a touchdown. Um, but, you know, that opportunity, uh, the, I, I think, dispelled the, the idea held by many people, including myself, that Chark had fallen somewhat out of favor with the Jacksonville coaching staff. He had missed a lot of time in the in the preseason and training camp. But he was right out there playing a ton of snaps, running a lot of routes in a, in a Jacksonville offense that's going to throw a lot. And they're, they are six and a half point underdogs, I believe, to Denver this week. So, you know, we're going to see similar, a similar type approach as we are probably going to throughout 2021. Are we, are we considering you, you, Chark as a, a, as a dart throw? And, and if so, are you, are you correlating him with anybody on the Denver side?
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. This is a game that uh, I don't know if you need to get this deep into the game pool, especially considering uh, like uh, running him back with someone. I don't know if you need to get that deep into the game pool where you're really trying to get a lot of players from these games. Right now, uh, that game only has a 45 total. So I don't think it's a, a game we're trying to prioritize when I think you can get, you know, a Kyler Murray stack for only a few percent more uh, uh, rostership for, yeah. you know, uh, a stack that projects so much better, even adjusting for the price. But do I think DJ Chark is the, not just a good tournament dart throw, he's like what tournament dart throws are made out of, where he can have 10 plus targets in a game and an ADOT over 15, and still and still see that type of volume repeatedly, not just once, not twice, but he can be a player who his team sort of runs their offense through, a la Calvin Ridley, while still taking deep shots to him, because that's sort of the the gripe that, uh, you know, a hypothetical gripe you can have with a Michael Thomas, or especially like DeAndre Hopkins last year, was a lot of his games, he could see a decent amount of targets, but unless he racks up a, a lot of yak on a few of those, he's reliant on something like touchdowns, whereas DJ Chark gets so many deep shots that the odds of him picking up one or two deep shots in a week are incredible. Relative yeah. to you know, like we talk about Anthony Schwartz, but he's truly this obscure tournament dart thrower. Or Marquez Vada Scantling sees a lot of air yards last week, but he's not going to do it on twelve targets. He just doesn't have that next level uh, of sort of tournament viability to him. That I, I like him, but it's not quite as glaringly obvious as someone like uh, someone like DJ Chark, who if he keeps this up, he doesn't have to keep it up entirely. But if he keeps up something similar to it. Uh, yeah, I think it's totally, totally possible that he is one of the, the higher yards per catch guys on a very reasonable target volume every given week. So yeah, I think he is the like idyllic tournament dart throw.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll move on a second. I just want to say on the record that I have a, I have a lineup that I really like that has mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence, DJ Chark, uh, James O'Shaughnessy, one of the best players in the NFL, kidding, but still, he's very, very cheap and affordable. And then running, running back with Javante Williams, who, out, who, 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 had more rushing attempts last week than teammate melvin gordon uh melvin gordon broke off the long run so it, gordon's box score you know stat, box score stats looked a lot better um anyway that's that correlation i i like a lot let's move on to a couple more dart throws um well we 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 mentioned schwartz he's questionable you said and, and but he had five targets last week 126 air yards the 10th most uh any anybody else come to mind as a as a dart throw here
1: Uh, So Cole Beasley, I think, really underrated in how he saw 13 Josh Allen targets, not just 13 targets, uh, like Deontay Johnson sees a lot of targets, right? But like, at the end of the day, we know the hands that those came from were uh, Ben Roethlisberger's. Not as exciting as, outside of last week, uh, the year before last week was a very good year for Josh Allen. If Josh Allen is to resume playing even uh, an 80% of what he did last year, 13 targets from him would just be absolutely massive. So, so Cole Beasley's 13 targets. That's all you need to tell me. Even if it's Cole Beasley, I don't care. 13 Josh Allen targets are 13 Josh Allen targets. I think he was, I thought he was a very viable play last week and he exceeded my expectations in terms of volume. That's all I needed to see. Cole Beasley, I, I doubt he gets really much much uh, popularity in tournaments, mm-hmm. but I think especially mm-hmm. if you wanted to play him as part of a Josh Allen stack would be pretty unique and uh, I think get you away from some of the popular plays. So Cole Beasley, tournament dart throw.
0: You heard it here. Absolutely. And throw a waddle in there just, just in case. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, we're going to move on now to sneaky stacks for week two. I, I wanted to uh, just read John Daigle's stacks. He he sent them to us before the show and I feel obliged to share them with the audience. So here here's what, here's what Daigle's doing. A Josh Allen double stack. So I guess, I guess it could be Stefan Diggs and, and Beasley or Diggs and, uh, Davis or Sanders and Beasley, you know, it, you, you kind of have your pick between those four pass catchers. Uh, so an Allen double stack alongside Jalen Waddle, uh, which who I just, just mentioned now, Will Fuller is out this week. He's out maybe for the foreseeable future with a personal issue, you know, Waddle and Devonte Parker are, you know, could, could constitute a pretty narrow target tree uh, for the Miami offense for the time being. And, Something I, I, that, that draws me to Waddle is that Buffalo, the Buffalo secondary is tough against outside receivers. You know they they don't lock them down, but generally that's not where you're attacking the Buffalo defense. You're attacking the Buffalo defense from the slot, and that's where Waddle is playing. So I, I think the Waddle. I think John Daigle's, uh stack here with with the Bills Dolphins game is is very good. He also has one with uh, oh the Cousins double stack. So you got Cousins, Thiel, and Jefferson. Uh, with Chase Edmonds and DeAndre Hopkins, so it's a mega stack for that game, that Vikings Cardinals game. I like that a lot. Chase Edmonds, I think, kind of is, is going to get lost. Already has gotten lost in the in the DFS discourse. Um, after, and I know this this gets old. I I actually I don't love saying it all the time, but had Chase Edmonds had good usage last week, like he was on the field a good amount. Uh, ran a good amount of rats. I know it didn't end up being a monster day for him. Uh, but you know, I think he he's a very cheap way to benefit from a potential shootout here. My uh, s- stack that is not so sneaky, but I'm gonna say it anyway. well, I you know, I should say the Trevor Lawrence thing for that, but but it, here's here's what I have for this. Uh, Russell Wilson with Chris Carson and then one of Lockett or Metcalf. Good luck deciding that would be and then you throw an AJ Brown in there as well um you know I, I I don't know Julio kind of freaks me out a little bit uh but Julio's price did drop a, a decent amount from last week and rightfully so so Julio I guess could be viable there do you have a, a sneaky game
1: stack there Yeah. So one game that uh, we haven't really talked about maybe at all, I think, which would, that would make it sneaky in my eyes. If we can go 50 minutes without talking about it would be uh, the the San Francisco versus Philly game. One of not the highest totals, but I think in terms of the amount of points scored by fantasy players, Jalen Hurts, given that he does like just rushing for 60 yards, which he's done in all four of his starts and finishes, throwing out that Washington non-finish, you know, trying to get better draft picks. Uh, situation at the end of last year over 60 rushing yards and the thing he didn't do last year particularly well was throw the football something you might say that quarterbacks need to do well but he did that particularly well in college he was an incredible passer in college one of the highest most efficient seasons or just careers yeah. uh you know of all ncaa history i know a lot of those guys have kind of come up in recent years We got a lot of good quarterbacks quarterback play in recent years so to me if he looked good as a passer in week one uh that only confirms my priors that outside of a few games last year coming in not getting to play with the ones uh probably up until you know a few days before he took his first start he's probably a good passer he looked like it in college he looked like it in week one i'm going to just choose to ignore the other game, the three and a half games that he played last year and then just stack him with Devonta Smith because Smith led the team with eight targets I believe there's mm-hmm. uh no reason to get super weird with this one you don't have to you can just play the obvious plays in this one because it's not going to be popular and I think it right. is uh given the rushing potential you only need to stack one as well so for me it's Devonta Smith it's Jalen Hurts and it's not that hard
0: well what Kyle's saying folks is you play the best plays period you know you don't worry about anything else No I'm that has, it makes a lot of sense and and the fact that we didn't talk about that game is is as a good indicator, I think, to the audience how that how that Niners Eagles game might be perceived could go off. You know, a lot of these games could go off, but but yes, I, I do like that that stack a lot. Is it, is there anybody on the Niners side that you would run back? Would it, would it be Debo?
1: Yeah, given what what we saw from Brandon Ayuk or the disappearing act he managed to yeah. pull off in Week One. Debo actually looks like a, like a bonafide number one wide receiver. Last year, he looked like a running back who got a lot of targets. You know, he looked like JD McKissick or whatever yes. because he had an ADOT of like 2.2, I believe. Now his ADOT was, I believe, over seven in week one. He looks like a normal, still low ADOT, but normal wide receiver. And and you do need some requisite level of air yards in any given week to have a, a particularly high ceiling. If you see even a modest ADOT, you know, just seven. That's all we needed from him with an incredible target share in, I think will be a good passing attack, even if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, no matter who it is. Yeah. If he's going to see a kind of Brandon Iuclis target share, which looks like we're ahead of that again in week two, that's, that's the obvious run back. You could totally go with uh, Kittle as well, though I'd take Devo, but it's both are perfectly fine.
0: All right, Kyle. Thanks so much. Uh, Thank you everyone for joining us for a good football show. DFS building blocks edition. Good luck in week two. We'll see you in week three.